Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My special guest today is Rob McKinney, CEO of Raven Alaska. Rob, welcome. Thank you so much, Carol. It's quite the honor to be invited to be on your show. Well, it's an honor to have you. Tell us a little bit about Raven Alaska. So Raven Alaska uh, is a, uh, a company that started in uh, 1948. It's had several names over the years and had some tumultuous ups and downs. Um, it's, it, it provides a vital link for those in rural Alaska that live in disconnected villages. Mm. Uh, as most of you know, Alaska is this, the largest state by far in the union and is not served by the highway system. So the people that live in, in these rural villages absolutely depend on their, their very lives for uh, air transportation to get their goods and services in, to be able to get back to doctors and uh, just be able to connect to the rest of the world via the National Transportation Network. And, and Raven provides that service for 14 communities. Well, that's really interesting. Um, Raven is Alaska's largest regional car- uh, carrier, correct? Absolutely, for, for being based right here in the state of Alaska. Right, right. Well, and, and I, I think we talked a little bit about um, Alaska Air, Yes, right? they they clearly Alaska Airlines. They're they're a good partner of ours. Uh, they fly larger jets, uh, but they're based in Seattle. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I never knew that. I would have I would have assumed that they'd be you know headquartered in Anchorage or somewhere like that. Um, we're, we're how many, they moved at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Raven Alaska is, pub, is privately held. Yeah, that's correct. But in the past, it's been it's been owned by private equity. Can you tell me? Can you tell us a little bit about like, like how that all occurred? <laughs> so the yeah, it, it's a complicated story. Um, uh, around 2015, 2016, uh, JF Lehman came in and, and purchased uh, the assets. Uh, I believe starting with Corvus, but they ended up um, putting together five different air carriers, mm-hmm. and they were trying to mishmash these five different carriers into one system, all called Raven. Um, but they all had different management. St- uh, styles. They had different management people. They had different operating systems, and it was it was a struggle um, at best. And then they were carrying lots and lots of debt. Uh, you fast forward to 2019, and then the Pinair portion of the Raven conglomerate, the Raven Air Group conglomerate, had the fatal accident out in Dutch Harbor, which really started their 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 decline. Mm-hmm. And then just a few months later is when COVID hit. And it was in April, it was April 5th of 2020 when they had to file for bankruptcy and actually put the entire airline on the ground. Oh, dear. And that was all due to COVID, really. Yeah. Well, it was due to lots of things. They they were carrying ninety five million dollars in debt, and for an airline this size, that's a that's an enormous amount of debt. Mm-hmm. So you know the accident coupled with the debt service that they were ha- having with the complications of all the management. So they had more staffing than they probably needed. They weren't efficient because they were trying to run five separate systems, and so all, there was lots of things. And and COVID probably was just the last nail in the coffin. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's interesting. So is that is that normal? You've been in this business for many, many years. Is it normal for uh, a regional, you know, small regional airline like yours uh, to be carrying that amount of debt? No, that's that's not normal at all. Mm. I, I don't know what their philosophy was or why they were doing it, but they were acquiring all these airlines when it was really kind of the heyday of aviation. And so they were paying full retail value for people that didn't necessarily otherwise wanted to sell. So that's kind of the reason why they ended up with so much debt. Oh, golly. So so you've been in this business for a long, long time. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you how you became a pilot. Sure. So it, it started and subsequently way, a CEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was. It's definitely not a straight line between here and there. Was hopefully that it can be an inspiration to somebody else. But I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I got my first flying lesson when I was sixteen. My my parents uh, saw was watching the local PBS channel in rural Indiana, and the local flight school um, offered. Uh, flying lessons is one of the the sales to for the benefit of the PBS station. Mm-hmm. So they bought that for me. And so at 16 years old, I go to the airport and and I and I go out flying. And it was kind of cool. I mean, I, I wasn't like completely wowed by it because I was I was determined I was going to be a veterinarian. I grew up on a farm and I loved animals mm-hmm. and I was going to care for animals. Um, but after about well six lessons, and so I had seven total hours to my name of, of flight instruction. And the the guy gets out of the plane says take it around the, the pattern by yourself. And I'm like, at 16 years old, I guess I was oh too God. dumb to be afraid. And so I, I take off and, and everything's just working like normal, like he had just trained me. But as I, I, as I turned the corner to start heading downwind, I kind of looked across the horizon. I realized I'm a thousand feet off the ground in this machine with no pause button on it and nobody's going to get it back on the ground but me. And it was transformative. It was like this amazing, like, oh my gosh, if I can do this, I really can do anything. And it just was this huge epiphany for my life. And it was just this incredible moment for me. So I ended up landing without without incident. And uh, it was the, the rest was there. I kind of changed gears. And I still ended up going to Purdue University, but for aviation instead of the veterinary school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that ended up being the trajectory of my life. So how did you end up as CEO of Raven? So, so I, I go to school and I was not one of these, per, I, you know, I kind of fell through the cracks where um, I didn't end up with a whole bunch of student aid. So I was working two jobs and I could just do the math that I was going to run out of money. So I, I loaded up on school and was carrying between 20 to 22 credit hours and working two jobs. So I finished in three and a half years because not because I'm smart. It was just because I was just determined and to not run out of money. So I, mm-hmm. I finished in the three and a half years, I, I got my first job and aviation was really in the dumper back then. There was companies that was charging you $10,000 to go to work for the first year for $10,000. So you were paying them your first year salary as this retention fee and training fee um, to go to work there. And about half of my class at Purdue didn't even get um, flying jobs. They had to go work as waiters or whatever else. It was mm-hmm. just a terrible time. So I was fortunate that I had a job lined up it was at a private uh, boarding school. They had their own airport and own fleet of planes. So I was, I would teach these rich kids how to fly, but then I had to do like all the the lawn maintenance and and I changed the oil in the the airplanes and I I did just a little bit of everything just to keep. I ran the whole airport by myself, wow. and I, I transitioned from that to a, a job that people I don't think a lot of people even knew existed. I held canceled bank checks at night, so the banks back before electronic anything would. 
put physical bank checks in bags and then throw them on these airplanes. And kids like me would fly them all night long to get them from the Federal Reserve back to the bank. And, and, I, and I did that. And it was a crazy job. There's all kinds of stories I could tell you. But that that was kind of a burnout gig. It was it was really difficult job to do. Um, so then I transitioned to FedEx, where I flew the smallest airplane that FedEx offered. And I got to see all over the the whole Caribbean and and just I flew airplanes everywhere and it was just it was a, a good job too except that it was also burnout aviation was still in the dumper I was still wasn't on the path up I wasn't climbing the ladder I was I was flying literally cat litter around a lot of the time so I uh, I just I got fed up and I quit and so I I bought real estate and I I just ran uh, some some rental real estate that I had for a couple years and and. I jones in to get back in aviation. You know, you you do something like this, you want to like do it. So I just go back to the airport and said, hey, you got like a part-time job for me. I got several thousand hours and lots of multi. And they made me the chief pilot walking in the door. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> holy, holy moly, the, the life has changed. So I, I take the job and I like I'm like getting into it. Then I realized I was working for a complete shyster. This this guy had had to make me the chief pilot because he was on his seventh crash. And I'm like, this, this is not just a place for me. So I got recruited away to run uh, what's called an FBO, where it's like a parking spot for private jets where they fuel and they do charters and all kinds of stuff in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I, I did that for two years, but then the guy wanted to sell it um, sell it out kind of out from under me. So then I went from there to go fly corporate jets uh, for flex jets. So I flew rich people around in Lear jets for a couple right. of years. And, uh, you know, things had slowed back down. And then, you know, now I was kind of stuck as a co-pilot and didn't really see any. And it was kind of a, it was a tough gig too. You're on the road 21 days a, a month and you didn't see your friends and you right. couldn't you know, participate in life. So there was this, this um, ad to be the chief pilot for a, a commuter airline in Maui. I'm like, well, what the heck? Let's give that a try. And so I go out there and, you know, I, it's, it was me is like, cause as a pilot, there was a really small value add that, you know, you can only be so good and you can only, you're trading your, your time for money and you can do a really good job for those customers, but you can't do anything else. Well, in that kind of role where I could, I could mold new pilots and I had a whole airline basically to run. I ended up leaving that job as executive vice president and I felt like I was really making a difference. I still love flying and I still loved what I did. And I still trained pilots and did all those kinds of things. But I like, I could see like, I could have so much of more of a value add mm -hmm. for, you know, especially new pilots. They started their career. And a small, interesting side note is, you know, at that point I still had my degree from Purdue, but I ran across one of the, the first season of the apprentice. So I was really into that show that Donald Trump show that started <laughs> And one of the contestants was there on Maui and, and I knew him because I watched the show. So I spent the whole day with him. And he, at that point, he was a motivational speaker. So boy, at the end of the day of talking to this guy, I was like on fire. I was going to do everything. So I, that's when I went back to school and got my MBA while I was still working. And that's how it kind of progressed to where I left as executive vice president and I transitioned to chief operating officer. Mm -hmm. And then I got recruited away to start an airline from scratch. And uh, so I moved back to the Pacific Northwest and I, I started as chief operations officer and then got promoted to CEO. And then when that had started to run its course, um, the, the original airline I started with in Hawaii, the new owner is like the fifth owner. He was 74 and wanted to retire. So he brings me back to be CEO of that. And I was just going to be hanging out there. I mean, life was good. I had this awesome house near the beach. 
And then we ended up getting bought out. And so I, I stayed on to help the transition and, you know, put it all together. And that's when I met my current partner, Tom Shea. And he says he had this idea for flying people over traffic in LA. This and is we, float shuttle, right? Float shuttle, yeah. So okay. I thought, this is an interesting <laughs> idea. And he sent me the, the, the spreadsheet and I kind of marked it up, sent it back. And usually people give up, but he didn't. And so he sent it back to me. I'm like, this is an awesome idea. So we started spending more and more time on it. And sure enough, we, you know, it was, this is, this brings us up to September of 2019. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he had been making pitches to all these potential investors and raised the money that we need. He says, it's time to start an airline. So, okay. So I dug in, rolled up my sleeves and, and from September of 2019 to February of 2020, we stood up this airline and had all the pilots. We had, we had signed big customers that were just really impressive for a brand new company that we're going to put their employees in our in our airplanes to fly them to work so they didn't have to sit in traffic and it was just getting so much traction and then march of 2020 happened and there was no more traffic to fly over <laughs> there was <laughs> right trying to convince eight strangers to get into a little aluminum tube sitting next to each other it was like there was just no way so we realized yeah. we had to we had to just give up on that. But you know what I'm what I'm really impressed with with Tom and myself. Like we could have just hid in the corner and said, you know, given up and say, you know, this is, you know, we took a shot at it and lost. But we realized there's got to be other airlines in trouble. And I just coincidentally said, we should take a look at Raven. I think they have lots of debt. And it was literally two and a half weeks later is when they filed for bankruptcy. So we just went after it and started dialing for dollars and like trying to round up investors and trying to put this whole this whole deal together. And, you know, raising money to buy a bankrupt airline in the middle of a pandemic is not as easy as you might think. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so, but we, 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 just, we didn't exactly get Exactly what I was thinking. How easy was it? <laughs> So, so we got the, we get, pulled it all together. We 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 put our bids in, and July 9th, we were we were told we were the successful bidders, and and it was kind of ironic that nobody saw us coming because you know who are these two guys? And I had never even gotten clear to California. I was still living on Maui at the time, and you know it's like these two guys from California. What do, you know? What do they know? And and sure enough, and here we were. So so yeah, I I didn't even know clear up to the last minute that this was going to work out. And then I get the word that we had won the bid July 9th. I'm sitting in my house in Maui and July 12th, I was here in Anchorage and I've been here ever since. So, so, so it, you're not only the CEO, but you're the co-owner. <laughs> I am. I'm a, I'm a minority owner, but yes, I'm partial owner as well. Okay. So, so how, how many owners does the company have? Who's the majority owner? So Josh Jones is a majority owner and by far he's chairman of the board and, you know, uh, he's, he's a pro uh, he's the one that made this happen. He, he saw faith in what we did. He's, he believed he was a minority investor in float shuttle. So he yeah. saw what Tom was able, Tom and I were able to do and just had faith in, in what we could pull together and in, in our management style and technique and our attention to detail. So, you know, he, he's the one that, that backed this. And so Josh has just been a phenomenal partner to work with. Fantastic. What's Tom's um, relationship to the company? What's, what was his involvement? So he's president and he's he's partial owner the same, same as me and so we 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 kind of we're very complimentary we come from different backgrounds and have different styles so we kind of just divvy up the workload and and you know attack what makes sense for for each of us. Mm -hmm. How many employees do you have? Right now we're at 388 uh, but with our latest announcement we're probably by this time next year we'll be well over 500. Awesome. So that's going to be because you're just going to be getting busier. Or what are, kind of what are your expansion plans to get from you know near 400 to 500? 
So we're working on this new project that's that's audacious at 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 its forefront. Um, so Raven Alaska is a commuter airline that flies Dash Eight products between thirty seven seats and fifty seat okay. turboprops. Um, but we're we're in the process now of standing up a new brand called Northern Pacific Airways uh, that will operate narrow body Boeing's between Asia and the continental U.S. using Anchorage as a hub. Fantastic. I was in my next question is if you have any you know plans to expand outside of Alaska. So yeah. what are you going to be dealing with from a comp- competition standpoint when you know when you start to expand outside the state and into you know Asia, for example? So there, there, there's obviously people serving those routes right now. Pretty right. much most of them go direct. Um, you know, our our model is is based on the Iceland Air model. So they use Iceland as a stepping stopping over point between uh, Europe and North America. So we're going to do the same thing using Anchorage as a stopover point between Asia and North America. So we we think that we're going to be going after a different market, the the kind of the lower end, the low cost market, and we can provide a product to allow more people to travel. So you know, we're we're our position is we're really not going to be competition. We're not going to be siphoning off passengers that would would buy a high end product and on one of the bigger airlines. Mm-hmm. Do you think that when with a stopover in Anchorage, people will say, "Hey, let's spend a few days here"? Well, that's absolutely the goal. That's what Iceland Air has been able to do, and okay. you know, was, since we already have a network of regional carriers, like, "Hey, let's go spend the day salmon fishing," or "Let's go ride a sled dog mm-hmm. on a glacier," or all of just. The, the plethora of phenomenal experiences you can only have here in Alaska. Well, that's really, really interesting. Um, so, you know, you've been at this for a year, right? Uh, with the new, with the new airline, what impact would you say you've had on the industry? You know, on the industry, I think that we've sent a signal that you, all it takes is determination and, and you can focus and you can turn even the worst situation around. I, for Alaska, I, I I would humbly and respectfully say that I think we we provided a service that was desperately needed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's people that were just suffering because they couldn't get to the doctor and they yeah. couldn't get they couldn't get food and they couldn't get to where they needed because they were so isolated. They were depending on charters that would maybe come once or twice a week instead of having daily service like what Raven provides. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, we've been able to reestablish reliable service that people can actually count on mm-hmm. here in the state of Alaska. Is there anything in particular that kind of bugs you about your industry? Aviation. Oh, there's there's lots of things. I, I pretty much from my experience is the worst part is people get into this for the wrong reasons. From from the outside looking in, the airline business and aviation in general looks so glamorous and sexy and like, oh my gosh, this is just something we need to do. And so many people getting the, get into this business purely for ego driven reasons. Really. And, Oh, absolutely. It's so surprising. It's atrocious about some of the egos that get into this and 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 for the just for all the wrong reasons. Tom and I, we do this because we have servant hearts. We there was lots of bankrupt airlines that we could have picked that might have been a bigger deal. There was one that was flying sports teams around that, that had a, a you know a better EBITDA. But we we focused on Raven because we saw the there was a need here. And it, and if another big private equity firm would have come in here, they wouldn't have started this airline back up. They would have just broken it up and sold it for the constituent right. parts. And mm-hmm. then, then these, these communities would have just been stranded. So, so mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the, the, the biggest level reason is like people just do 
the airline business for the wrong reasons. They're mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of cold and and heartless. And and quite frankly, I can't tell you how many people told me what a terrible name Raven had. And they said that you can't even, you're just going to have to change the name. It's so terrible. Everybody hates Raven. And it was because of the previous leadership really had this corporate mentality right. Right. that, you know, you're going to pay our change fees. You're going to, you're going to pay to call our call center. You're going to pay, you know, excess baggage fees. You're on and on and on. And, 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 you know, so I internally, I made the joke. I said, okay, we're going to keep working on rehabilitating the Raven brand until it's not a four letter word anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fantastic because, you know, as, as certainly, you know, we're all consumers of airlines. Right. Um, and it's interesting because it, you know, it makes me think back to, gosh, this must've been, you know, in the early nineties when Gordon Bethune took over continental and turned it around. Um, it was a horrible airline, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <It> horrible. <laughs> um, and you, you know, you see that and then, you know, and then you look at the story of Southwest and how they completely disrupted air travel, right? Totally disrupted well, it. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that. I actually have worst to first sitting on my bookshelf right behind me. So I, I don't forget that it, it's truly the customers. One of the first things that I did when, when I got here is I, I, I had a, a previous partner that was phenomenal at customer mm -hmm. service. So I forced every, even the mechanics and every, everybody at Raven had to come back through and, and, and the company affectionately started calling it charm school, but it was this a whole week of customer service training. And I think it's paid dividends. If you look at our social media posts mm -hmm. now, people are just excited about, you know, how they're treated and how they mm -hmm. get to, and, you know, even, even when we screw up from time to time that we go out of our way to make it right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of the team that we have here. And I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful to all the citizens of Alaska that gave us another shot when, yeah. you know, maybe legitimately they didn't have to. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, you might, you, you one might look at them and think, well, they don't have a choice. <laughs> That's well, nobody, right? <laughs> they, they didn't, but they, you know, there's Amazon, there's, you know, there's other, they, they, right. but our numbers are almost pre-COVID now numbers. Um, mm -hmm. we, we, we are just, we're outboarding what all of our projections were. So, so yes and no, that, that yes, you know, some of them are stuck, but not every place that we fly, there's competitors and we fly to some places with roads and they still choose to get on Raven. What was it? So the airline was, was it still operating while in bankruptcy? It was not. No, they put on July, April 5th. That none of the employees knew it. They just put the planes on the ground and told everybody to go home, turned all their badges off. And those planes sit for, on the ground um, literally until October. So last that year. created yeah. all kinds of challenges to itself. We had to, we rehired 300 people in 30 days. That was my, that was my question. How did you go about rehiring? And, and obviously you started with 300, as you just pointed out. So the first 10 or so I sit down and interviewed and looked them in the eye and, and hired them myself. And then I knew what they were, you know, what they're all about. I knew their hearts were into it. I, I just, I can't say enough about um, the thing that I was most worried about coming to this was that, wow, if I have, you know, the wrong team, it doesn't matter. My skills or talents that it's not going to succeed. I, you know, I got to have the, the right people around me, but I, mm -hmm. I couldn't have been more lucky. I feel like I hit the lottery when it comes to the staff that we had. So then I put my faith in them. They knew of the 1,400 uh, previous Raven employees. They brought back the right 300 people to get this airline stood back up. And that's, that's how it happened. That's fantastic. Uh, have any of the people that you initially rehired last year left you? 
or have you left few, them? There, there's been a couple of uh, you know, inner circle. Uh, one got hired with FedEx, and I can't I can't blame her. She uh, she actually had the job with FedEx prior to Ravens restart, and she mm-hmm. pushed them off to help us. And so that that was so heartwarming that she was so important for us to help stand Raven back up that mm-hmm. she pushed off a huge career opportunity for herself for for later down the road. So she's left and then one of our one of our uh, directors of, of quality had the the career of a lifetime opportunity comes up. So you know, I certainly don't begrudge anybody like that when they have an opportunity like that. But we've had such a deep bench that we've had people step up and they're growing into the roles and they're just doing a phenomenal job. So tell me a little bit about the culture that you've built. So it's it's a culture of trust and openness. Um, I, I get told all the time my my door stands open unless I'm doing a, a podcast mm-hmm. like yours. Um, but people can just walk in and and it's it's funny. A year later, I still get people that will come in here, you know, be a little bit trembling and say, "I've never even been on this side of the building because it was just the previous culture was that." You know, you didn't go dare bother the man or the big guy. And and I spend as much time, you know, walking around the building or walking over the terminal. I get on airplanes as often as I can to go out and see our communities. And I mm-hmm. just think that's important. And, and one of the things that I've done is every single Friday with maybe a couple failures in there, I send out a company-wide Friday update and say, here's where we are. And I started started that clear back before we put the first airplane back in the air. And it was like, here's the challenges of this week. And here's the progress that we made. Here's still the stumbling blocks. And I've been you know, as transparent as I possibly could be. And I think that has meant a lot to everybody, that they realize that we are a team and I'm sharing everything with everybody so that they know you know, exactly where, where we stand, you know, if we're on time or, you know, if we're struggling in some area, whether it's financially or some maintenance issue, they, everybody knows. So right. I think that's been the biggest thing is that I've built trust with them that they yeah. know that, you know, we're, we're not doing, you know, some kind of corporate shenanigans behind their back. It's amazing what that, what, what that kind of transparency will do for you, huh? For your credibility. It, it really does. And and it, it feels natural. It feels like, well, that's the way you should do it. And that's that, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're all in this together in a team. And sometimes people let you down. Some people, they say things out of school that I wish I didn't. But on balance, I'm so glad that I did. I'm, on balance, I, I think that's that's the way is like you you engender this this family spirit that, that we're all pulling in the same direction. What's been your biggest challenge, Rob? You know, the biggest challenge is that I'm not from Alaska, and this is um, this is a, a wonderful place, but there's people that have spent their whole lives here, and so it's a very tight-knit community. Yeah. So there's been a little bit of struggle with some aspects of the business trying to break into, you know, kind of what might be considered an old boys club, mm-hmm. and I get it. I, you know, I'm not from here and I got to earn everybody's trust. And and so there's been challenges like that where people have been more protective of, of business interests. And, and it's just because of the relationships that they have that I don't have. So I, you know, I, when I put that in the challenge column, it's, it's not like, you know, I come at it with any kind of frustration or bitterness. It's more like I, I get it and I've got to pay my dues to, to get there. Well, listen, and it'll take time. And, and, and the more people realize that you're, you know, it, it, as you mentioned, you know, that you're, you're servant, you're a servant leader, right? So, and, and you're authentic about it. The more people actually realize that that's who you are and you're not there to blow sunshine up anyone's skirt, you know, they'll welcome you with open arms. I, I think so. I, you know, I, I feel like I've done right. You know, even when I've had to make, you know, tough announcements to uh, competitors and stuff, they've always appreciated that I've had the integrity to tell them in, up, up in the front. So even if it's, 
I have to make difficult decisions or difficult uh, conversations, being transparent about it has, has served me well. And, and, you know, that, that I think is what's going to kind of help take us across the finish line. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're closing in on 400 employees. What, what, what is the makeup of those employees, you know, from a gender standpoint, from a diversity standpoint? We're, we're fairly diverse. I don't know that I have the number off the top of my head, but we, we had to look at it um, just here recently. And uh, it, uh, coincidentally enough, we have uh, uh, a really high population. I think it's 15% Pacific Islanders, which having just come from Hawaii, you know, I, that, that seemed unique. And then, you know, obviously we have a lot of native Alaskans. Yeah. So, you know, as Alaska is, um, you know, its own kind of entity disconnected from the rest of the United States, we have a very diverse um population I, I think mm-hmm. we're pretty pretty close to 50 50 males to females so okay. i'm 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 happy with you know that we we are an inclusive group and you know we're always looking for you know that next level of inclusivity and diversity mm-hmm. do you have any do you have any women in the executive suite uh we do our chief commercial officer is tina hanley awesome that's fantastic and and how many how many in the executive suite total well, that we run a pretty lean ship. It was uh, there was just four of us uh, okay. the longest time, and we're adding a, a fifth person here shortly. Good. In what what role? Um, he's going to be uh, so. So we're starting a separate division uh, called Flycoin, which is going to be our frequent flyer program. Mm. But it's also um, it, it's also going to be more user friendly, where you can use your frequent flyer points. Uh, more universally. So he's going to be CEO of that division, but he's also going to be CFO of Float Alaska, the parent company for all the airline holdings. Oh, very interesting. So it sounds like, you know, what, what you, what you've built is, is I think not unique and just maybe unique inside of the airlines industry, right? You know, where, where people can walk into your office if the door is open and say, Hey, Rob, you know, do you have a few minutes? (laughs) I think it is fairly unique that, that, and I insist everybody does that. I mean, I, I tell people, if you're talking to Mr. McKinney, that's my father. So I'm Rob Thomas, Tom. And, you know, if, if I have the time come in, you know, ping me on text, everybody has my cell phone number. And if they have a problem, they know, they know where to come. And it, luckily it doesn't ring that often because people know that they have a, a resource to go to. So they're able to work right. it out. The, the right. one rule I did set up though, is nobody, has the right to fire anyone at Raven, Alaska, except me. If you get terminated, I have to be the one to be convinced to let you go. There's no, no manager at Raven, Alaska that can terminate any employee. Why is that? Because I wanted people to feel secure. It, there, there was so much tumult last year yeah, between yeah. the pandemic and between the, mm-hmm. the shutdown and not knowing, you know, I had faith that, you know, we got the right people, but I didn't know, you know, 300 people coming in the door in 30 days is not like yeah, I can know. Them all. It's a lot. I wanted people to feel safe and I wanted people to feel secure that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you really have to try hard to get fired from here. It's not like something that you're just going to lose your job and be out on the street on some capricious reason. So I, I felt that was pretty important and it's, it's worked out well and I've, I've seen no reason to change it. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Um, if somebody wanted to get into your industry, what kind of advice would you give them? 
Well, um, it's it's a great time. I think that there was a really massive pilot shortage and mechanic shortage pre-pandemic. And really? while there was a lull here in the beginning, it's coming back fast. Mm-hmm. So so go like I did. If it wasn't for uh, guaranteed student loans, I, I couldn't be where I am today. Uh, so go to your community college that, that has a flight school and go get those student loans and and just go after it because if you stay strong after it it won't be long until you'll be having that dream job in aviation whether it's in aviation maintenance or or flight operations what what was the lack of maintenance workers due to well it, it's the whole the pilots and the maintenance are all kind of part and parcel of the same thing it, the pilots is a little bit more specific because they change the uh, the retirement age from 60 to 65 at the same time that the 2007 downturn hit. Right. So people that were kind of moving up their career, just it just stopped suddenly. Sure. And so then it just backed all the way down. And so mm-hmm. what was, it's expensive to become a pilot if you try to do it on your own. So there was no incentive to go into that industry. And it just seemed like it was crazy. And it's the same thing, even though it didn't have the retirement age deal for the mechanics, mm-hmm. it was still, there was no upward mobility there for the longest years after that shutdown. And so fewer people would go into maintenance school and fewer people were just available. And that backlog takes time. And and then the military is not churning out pilots and mechanics like they once did. Right. So, just this whole conglomeration to kind of make a perfect storm where there's just mm-hmm. not enough bodies to, for, to, to fill the roles that you, that we need. That's really interesting. So what's your day to day look like as a CEO there? That's the part that I love the most that, you know, while, while the calendar is pretty full and, you know, I have lots of stuff to do, I, you know, I'll sit down and have, you know, dig into what does the schedule look like and let's start planning for next winter and how many frequencies are we going to have to certain cities and then we'll have a pricing meeting and what is it, what, you know, what does pricing models look like? We'll mm-hmm. talk marketing and then I'll, you know, I'll have the uh, talk with the maintenance department and what struggles are we doing? We're currently adding our first 50 seat dash 300. So there's daily meetings on making sure that gets through all the FAA uh, inspection process so that we can start flying that in revenue service. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always some kind of, you, there might be an HR problem or there's a customer complaint that, that I will end up dealing with personally. Really? That's the beauty of it is there's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the, a lot of the days I don't know what's coming my way. And so it's always some new challenge to keep it fresh and interesting. And then, you know, you start, just, you know, telling the world that you're going to fly Boeing's to Asia, then, you know, that my day filled up even faster then. <laughs> Yeah. I'll, I'll be really interested in hearing how that goes. I think that's such a, such a great idea. Um, you know, to kind of look at, like you said, the, the Iceland air, uh, you know, the stopping in Iceland piece and, and, uh, that you're not actually competing against that. I think it's really interesting. I mean, if well, I, if I were flying to Asia and, and flew from, you know, Denver to Anchorage, I would totally spend a few days there and either on the way out or on the way back. And the other upside to it is because people ask me, why wouldn't someone make a stop when you don't have to? Well, one is like, that's a long flight to be crammed in there. Oh, yeah. And so who wouldn't want to stretch their legs? The other upside is this, this, uh, the, the customs and immigration here in Anchorage is wide open. So you're going to be standing in line with the people on that plane, not in a queue that could be three hours long at an LAX or right. San Francisco or one of these, these kinds of places. So there's, even if you don't take advantage of the Alaska piece, there's still an advantage, but one for cost. And then the second for just the, the, the comfort of ease of entering and exiting the United States. That's really interesting. What would you say are the biggest opportunities and threats today in aviation? 
Wow. Um, there's always the threat of regulation that, the, uh, you know, the, there's always kinds of jokes inside the industry that if the, if the paperwork doesn't equal the gross weight of the airplane, you've missed something. Uh, when I when I go out and do talks and say, would you would you if you had it all to do it over again, what would you do differently? And I said, well, I might go into a lesser regulated industry like nuclear power. So <laughs> I'm, I'm always worried that, you know, government's going to do something that, you know, it's always the the good intentions that could be lead, you know, to some kind of just horrible unintended consequence. Yeah. The amount of tax on aviation right now is, is about twice, sometimes three times what sin taxes are. So you put taxes on alcohol and firearms and tobacco to dissuade people from doing it. But then you have twice as many taxes on an airline ticket, which seems kind of kind of out of whack. So so government and regulation and unknowing, you know, as from administration to administration, what they're going to do. The price of oil obviously has a huge impact on on what we do and kind of out of our control. There's you know, you can hedge to some degree. Right. So that's that, what I was going to ask you if you do that. Yeah, a, a huge risk. And, and again, that but somewhat is controlled by administration and administration, how their their um, tack towards the oil business is. And, you know, that drives prices up just on speculation. So so those two things. And then then lastly, is just like we already discussed the labor shortage in that we're, you know, we're really going to be proactive and, and we're starting to work with flight schools. We're going to create um, a fleet of smaller aircraft for people starting out their careers so that they can fly and, and flow from that and then into our Dash 8 program and then on into our Boeing program. And what really jazzes us about that is we're working with some members of Congress so that the Sally Mae program doesn't just go to you know, the biggest universities, it can go to accredited flight schools. Mm -hmm. So then we can go into inner cities, we can go into children that think that they have no hope whatsoever and would never even dream of a career in aviation. We can say, well, here's the pathway. You go to this school, you do the student debt. As long as you stay the course, we will pay the debt for you. And so you can have a career in aviation all the way through to the left seat of a Boeing aircraft flying internationally for free. And talk about the diversity that that would bring and talk about the potential workforce that we would never be able to tap any other way. So we're really, really excited. Now that's a long-term play, but Mm -hmm. we think that that's going to be the future of, of our airline anyway, is that, you know, we can go create opportunities where absolutely none exist today. That's right. And the, and the key word there was proactive. Yeah. You, we we live proactive. in such a reactive society. I, I talk about this all the time, you know, and, and by being reactive, it costs so much more time and money to do it that way. It, it does. Cause we know this problem's coming and, and it's, it's a solvable problem. There's plenty of workforce out there, but we got to create a pathway for them. Mm-hmm. We got to give them the hope that it's possible. And then we got to create a legitimate pathway where they can go from some of these really disadvantaged neighborhoods, cities, communities, and, and be able to hop on this career train that will take them anywhere they want to go literally in the world. Yeah. Um, so you said you're going to, uh, over the next year or by, by the end of next year, um, grow to about 500 people. You know, what does that next 100 employees look like? I mean, pilots, mechanics, you know, what what is that? It, it will be. It'll be all the people needed to stand up this Boeing program. So okay. the, you know, probably another 50 pilots, probably another 150 flight attendants, probably another 70 or so mechanics, and then all the ground support people that we will have to employ to unload baggage, check in passengers, okay. reservation agents. There's just, it's, uh, mm-hmm. the airline business is a very labor intensive business. I, well, yeah, there's no question about it. So is, um, 
are those are, do you have those people already in Alaska? Or are you going to be fishing outside, you know, into the continental U.S. to bring those people up there? I think a lot of the people are already here. We're, we're, you know, we're dedicated to Alaska. Our hearts are in Alaska now. So we want to provide every opportunity that we possibly can to create jobs right here in the state of Alaska. But clearly, I think that the, the depth of knowledge that we're going to need for a lot of these positions, we're going to have to look elsewhere. And, and certainly the continental U.S. partially. But, uh, you know, again, where if we find talent anywhere in the world, then, you know, we're going to look to see bringing the best people. Yeah, that's, that's really fantastic. Uh, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is you were living in Maui, now you're living in Anchorage. <laughs> and tell us about that shock. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was a little bit of a shock. It was funny. I went to the doctor uh, right after I got here and they were like filling out all the things that like, who's your primary physician. And I said, well, I don't, I don't have one yet. And I said, because I just moved here. And they said, oh, you know, Alaskans are so friendly. I said, where'd you move from? And I, I said, I just moved here from Maui. And they said, okay, so clearly you're here for a psych evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's actually been wonderful. As much as I love Maui and I've spent 10 years there and it was just a, a great, great place to live. So has been Anchorage. It is, the people here are awesome. I, I love most everything about it. And it's really funny, Carol. It, I, people think I'm nuts when I say this, but there are a lot of similarities between yeah. Hawaii and Alaska. They're both disconnected from the rest of the United States. Right. They're both large tourism population, you know, yep. tourism. Um, they both have lots of government and military presence. Yep. They both have large native populations. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So except for the actual mean temperature, they're right. really... They're really similar, yeah, but I, yeah. the snow wasn't bad and I, I've just had a ball here. That's fantastic. So what do you do on your free time now, now that you're in a completely different place? Uh, I, you know, how Hawaii is a pretty outdoors place. So is Alaska. It is. So I, mean, I love to hike in, in Maui and I, I do the same thing here. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty active tennis player. So I, I play that. They have lots of indoor tennis here, luckily. So when the weather is not so good, you can sure. still play tennis indoors. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting out on the lakes and doing some fishing. And, and there's there's just so many things. I, I feel fortunate. I was able to soak in everything that Hawaii had to offer. And I really left no stone unturned there. And I plan to do the exact same thing here. This last year has been pretty full for me. It's been uh, it's been a lot of focus on work, but it, it hasn't felt like work. It's felt like just a, a labor of love. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right. Now is the time that I got to, you know, poke my head out of the office and go, go see this, this great outdoors that Alaska has. Mm-hmm. So if somebody listening to this is thinking, wow, what a cool airline and what they've done with it. I'd sure like to investigate working for them. What should they do? So all the jobs that we have are uh, on uh, ravenalaska.com. You'll clearly see all the all the careers page. And they're all listed right there. And we uh, we have a phenomenal HR department. They actually have a sign up on the door. They're the coolest HR department anywhere because most oh, people they are, are they? Huh. And, and so yeah, you'll have you'll have you'll get a response right away. And uh, yeah, that's that's the best way to to join the team. And and, and I should note that uh, in, Raven is spelled R A V N. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was from the previous administration. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really my thing when I joined here, but it's it's grown on me and it, it's become something that's near and dear to my soul. And that was kind of the joke that I told earlier on when when it, Raven had the bad reputation. I, I told, said internally, we're going to keep working until Raven's not a four letter word anymore. Right. Yeah. As you mentioned. <laughs> right. Well, Rob McKinney, uh, CEO of Raven, Alaska, thank you so much for joining me. This has really been an interesting conversation. Um, and I, I sure hope that folks listening, especially your story about how you came, came to be at this airline and all the things that you've done. I really, I, I hope it's a value to, to my listeners. And I think it will be. 
I hope it is too. And thanks so much for this opportunity, Carol. This was, it was so much fun. And I, uh, I, I look forward to uh, meeting again sometime. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.